Galatians. We started this a couple of weeks ago. Galatians chapter 1, this morning in verse 6. After his greeting, he, he starts right, right out of the gate. And this is what he says, Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I would not be a slave of Christ. One of the things in, in communicating, and it's one of the things, especially when it came to, comes to letter writing, that's lost in social media world today because, you know, the younger generations by and large don't know how to write letters. Although I will be, I would, I'm very pleased that I have, my sons have actually been writing each other since Will's been away. And, and, and they submit their letters to their mother and I for, you know, to look at. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm blown away by their ability to write letters. It's amazing. You know, in this world of Twitter, in this world of social media, where you don't know how to write. People just don't know how to write letters. But in, in the normal way of writing letters and communicating, there was usually you start with some type of greeting, right? And you, and you say some niceties. You, you say some things that are pleasant, pleasantries. And, 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 and then you get down to business. But usually it, it, it kind of goes, how are you doing? I'm fine. How's your family? Family's great. Ah, oh, it's great. How's the weather? Weather's been great. And, and you know what I'm saying? And, and then you build up and you lead into where you get into the business at hand of whatever it is that you were going to talk about. There is an exception, though. And the exception is this. If something is so serious, there's no time for pleasantries. Especially if there's already an established relationship with somebody. And you have to go and you have to communicate with them. And it's of such a serious issue that there's no time to say, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How's the family? Oh, the family's. There's no time for that. Okay? There's no time for that. Several, several years ago, a good friend of mine was establishing a business, and, and I was working with him, and you have to understand, at this time when Madison was, was still fairly small, and everybody still knew everybody pretty much, and so uh, he, he was working to establish this business, and there was a certain individual who was, who was a longtime Madison person, and he could help with this, and, and he would be somebody that you would think, yeah, we, need, we, we would love to have this business, and he could really help. And so this good friend of mine said, let's go see him. I said, okay. So called him and said, hey, we're going to come see you. I want to talk to you. So I said, yeah, sure, come on. 
Now keep in mind, we, we, we know each other, right? I mean, we, we know. This is not like strangers. It's not like a cold turkey call. So we get there, we, we, we walk in, and we're expecting the usual customary, how you doing? Man, I'm great. How's your mother? Oh, my mother's great. How about this? You know, we, we didn't no more get in the door. We didn't even sit down. We, we, we didn't even get as far as to sit down. There, there was no, hey, how are you doing? The man looked at me. Then look at my friend, and he looked at me and he said, Tell your brother to leave my daughter alone. Yes, sir. Good day. That was it. I gotta keep in mind, I've known this man. It's not like strangers. So we turn around and we leave, and this good friend of mine looks at me and he says, I'm going to kill him. Now, we, he grew up with my brother. He knew my brother. I won't say which one it was. But you see, in, this, in his mind, in this, this gentleman's mind, there was something. When he saw me, there was something that was serious to him, and there was no time for pleasantries. And he wanted to communicate something to be very serious. Now, I got the message. Trust me, I wouldn't tell my brother, you leave her alone. So there are exceptions to the pleasantries, right? There are times when it's just not, it's just, we don't have time for the pleasantries, and we need to get down to, especially when something is serious. Now, think about this. Is there any, any more serious of an issue? Is there any more serious of an issue? than a threat to the gospel of Christ. I can't think of anything more serious than something threatening the gospel. Something, something threatening, threatening to undermine the gospel, to, to pull it apart, to tear it apart. And, 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 and I can't think of anything more serious than that. And there's no time for pleasantries in certain situations when the gospel is threatened. You remember what happened with David when he sinned with Bathsheba? You remember after that, Nathan approaches David there in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. And you remember, now, now Nathan was smart about how he approached the king. He just didn't walk into the king's presence and say, Yeah, you dirty, rotten sinner. He was pretty smart about the way he approached him. And he gave him this parable. But when it came time to where David says, Ah, that man ought to be dealt with. Nathan didn't beat around the bush. You remember what Nathan told him? Nathan said, you are the man. You are the man, David. And what did David do? David was broken. David, David responded in repentance and was broken and confessed his sin. And I love what Nathan says to him after this confession. And he says, David, God's removed your sin. He's removed your sin. But you know what? There are going to be some consequences from this. And there were. From that point on, David suffered consequences. But I love it when Nathan said to him, God's removed your sin. God's removed your sin. But David, Nathan didn't waste time. It was a serious issue. And he, and, and he went straight to it. And so, too, when, when we see and understand that the gospel itself is being threatened by something, there comes a time when it's time for straightforward talk. No niceties, no pleasantries, but straightforward talk. 
When the house is on fire, you don't wake the family up and say, how are you sleeping? Oh, I'm sleeping well. That's great. Hope the bed's comfortable. Yeah, the bed's comfortable. Can I get you some water? If the house is on fire, you wake him up and you say what? Get out of the house! There's no time for these pleasantries. It's time for straight talk. It's on fire. Listen, in, in a lot of ways, and in, in, in a lot of times we don't fully realize just how the house is on fire right now. What I'm talking about is the church is on fire right now. The gospel's being threatened right now. And it's being threatened by some agitators. And one of the reasons why I wanted to walk through the book of Galatians is to see it and understand it because Paul deals with it with the Galatian believers here. So... When, when, when the gospel's threatened, and, and, and in a sense, in a very real sense, the church on fire itself and being threatened from this. This demands straight talk now. This demands straight talk. It's no time for pleasantries. It's no time to worry about reputations. It's, it's no time for that. It's not time for that. As believers and as a New Testament church, as believers and followers of Christ and as a New Testament church, our allegiance is to Christ and it's to the gospel. That's where our allegiance stands. That's it. That's where our allegiance stands. Didn't we just read this in Acts chapter 5? Wasn't that clear from the apostles? Our allegiance is to God, it's to Christ, it's to the gospel. That's where we stand Our allegiance is to Christ and to his gospel. The gospel, by the way, which God revealed to us. It's the gospel, by the way, the only gospel. There's no other gospel. And it is the gospel through which rebellious sinners can be saved and made right with God. There's no other message, no other way. And when it's threatened, it's time for some straight talk. And it's time for some seriousness. It's time because what's at stake is the salvation of our souls. That's what's at stake here. We're not talking about some obscure doctrine or some obscure belief that we can have disagreement and have conferences over and write a few books about and banner about here and there and discuss it here and there and, you know... Have, have fun with it and this or that. No, we're not talking about that. The time for that's over. What we're talking about is the very gospel in which we understand how is a sinner saved and which we understand how is a sinner made right before God, which is the ultimate, which is the most important question any of us face right now. How can I be right with God? How can my sins be forgiven before a holy and righteous God? And the message that he's given us in the gospel is clear. It's not obscure. It's crystal clear. But there are some who are wanting to obscure it. There are some who are threatening it, even now, just as in Paul's day. There's not another gospel. There's only one. And if we lose it, we lose everything. That's how serious this is. If we lose it, we lose everything. We lose everything. So straight talk, how does Paul do it? I love what he does here. I love what he does because he comes right out of the gate. There's no pleasantries here. He comes right out of the gate. 
And in these, these verses, beginning in verse 6 down through verse 10, it, it's very emotional. As you read it, and I read it, and I was working through it, I just got this sense of this great emotion coming from the Apostle Paul. And he's going to respond with straight talk and three emotions here. We're going to see them. Now understand where we started with this. God did a great work in this area. This area of Galatia. We talked about whether it's northern Galatia, southern Galatia. But God did a great work in this pagan area. He saved people. Churches were established. Churches were planted. But what we looked at in the very opening of this letter is Paul talking about two great prior works before this great work. And one, if you remember, was God calling Paul. Paul's very clear. God called me. I was not called by man. I wasn't taught this by man. God called me. God did this. And then the other great work is him saving sinners. When he talks about Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he responds right out of the gate with verse 6. No, how are you doing? How's your mother? How's the family? None of that. And here's the first emotion that we see. And I think it's deep emotion coming from him. And this is what he says. I marvel. I'm astonished. And it's continual action. It's present tense. So it's not like he heard about this and he was just blown away one time. He's continually. As he hears these reports, as he thinks about these churches, he's continually amazed. He's astonished. This word is used in the Gospels. You remember sometimes when people would see or hear the teaching of Christ or they would see a miracle and then it would say they marveled. There are places where it says, man, they were, they were astonished. They marveled. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7, the day of Pentecost, the people, this word's used when it talks about describing the people is they looked at these people speaking in tongues, speaking in their own dialect, and it says these people marveled. They were astonished. At what they were hearing. And if you remember, some of them said, yeah, these people are drunk. That's what this is. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they heal a lame man. And they heal this lame man. And then as they look and see the religious leaders see this man healed, and they're looking at Peter and John, and Peter says, why do you stand here astonished? Same word. Why are you standing? Why do you marvel at this? And it says specifically, why are you looking so intently at us? And they say, we didn't do this. This man was healed by Christ. So, so you get the picture here of Paul. His mind's blown. He's astonished. He's marveling. He cannot believe this. This is, this is a deep emotional response to what he's heard. And he can't believe. He can't believe this. And he says... I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. I'm, I'm astonished. What is He astonished at? It's the fact that they're changing. They're in the process of changing. They're switching sides here. They're transferring schools here. And when He says that I'm astonished that you are so quickly it could be a time reference in the sense that Paul, after he preaches and these churches are established and then he goes away and 
Then, then he, he finds out, man, you know, you, you so quickly turned away from me. But it also could have the, the idea that it wrapped up in this is Paul's amazed that they're so easily throwing off the gospel. I can't believe how easy it is for you just to throw off the gospel. Not too long ago, you were proclaiming Christ and saying you would follow him to the ends of the earth. Not too long ago, you were giving glory to him. Not too long ago, you were sitting in church, worshiping him, singing the songs, praying the prayers, giving your money, and declaring your loyalty to him. And then all of a sudden, something happens... And there's this outside influence that comes. And you so easily switch allegiance. Do you know in a sense what's sad is this happens every Monday morning in so many churches. Do you realize that? Man, we could have some of the greatest worship and some of just be moved to tears and be moved to, to the point to where you say, I, I will never forsake Christ. And then Monday morning, you can switch teams so easily. You see it? This is what's blowing his mind. I cannot believe this. Now again, remember, he's got an established relationship with these people. So he's not talking to people that he, don't, that he has no relationship with. So, so I, I, I'm amazed at, at what's happening with you. And notice what he says. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're deserting the one who's called you. This is the Father. The Father has called you. And notice where He's called you. He's called you in the grace of Christ. This is the Gospel. Is it how He called you by His grace? Possibly. Is it that He's called you to Christ so that in Christ you stand in the grace of Christ? Maybe both are wrapped up in this. But what's blowing Paul's mind is the fact that God did this work he called you here, and you're so quickly, so easily turning from this. And notice what he says. You're turning to this, to a different gospel. To a different gospel. Heteron is the adjective that's being used here. It's where we get the understanding of hetero, which is different, right? It's not the same. You've got one, and hetero, this one's different. Paul's saying, I can't believe that you're, you're, you're throwing off this one and you're going to something completely different. But then notice what he does. He qualifies this because it's almost as if he catches himself. You're going to a different gospel. They're not even the same. But hold on a second. Wait a minute. Not that there is another one. There's really not another one. There's really not another one. It's not like God comes to you and says, okay, you got plan A and you got plan B. And plan A, it's just simple trust and faith and it's by my grace. And plan B, you go do everything you can and just hope that I'll be gracious and just hope that your good works outweigh the bad. It's not it. There is no other gospel. There is only one gospel and it's the grace of Christ. That's it. So it's almost as if Paul catches himself. I can't believe you're turning to something different but, but, but wait a minute, there's really not another one. There's really, really not another one. I love what Luther said. Luther said that what Paul's doing is responding in this emotional way. He's responding as a mother or a father. What we don't read here is Paul saying, 
Oh, you rotten. Galatians, I'm done with you. I'm over this. I'm through with you. I'll go find somebody else to work with. He's responding as a mother or father. I cannot believe you did that. I can't tell you how many times I said that to my kids. I cannot believe you said that. I cannot believe you did that. How could you be a son of mine? Right? If you're a parent, you know this amazement. But then there are also the good times, though, aren't there? I'm so amazed that you did this in the good sense, right? So I love what Luther says. He's responding as a mother. He's responding as a father. He doesn't throw them away. But he also said this. He said, in this, astonishment from Paul is is also a subtle warning that we need to understand when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, when he says, Do you think you stand? Beware, lest you fall. Because it is a reminder of how easy it, easy it is to fall. And these people had Paul teaching them. Can you imagine that? They had the Apostle Paul teaching them. Weren't there some who sat at the feet of Christ? Who given the opportunity when things got tough, what did they do? They transferred schools, didn't they? They switched teams. They changed. In fact, it was so bad at one point in John 6 that the apostles are looking at this and Jesus says to them after they abandon him and Jesus looks at the apostles and says, you want to go with them? And Peter says, hey, look, man, we don't have anywhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. It can be so easy. It can be so easy for us as a church to throw it off. And we could could come up with all kinds of nice reasons and try to justify in our minds of why. Well, because, you know, we need to to reach people with the gospel. In order to reach people with the gospel, then, then let's tweak this and let's tweak that and let's tweak this and let's not talk about sin and let's not talk about blood and let's, let's not talk about those kinds of things. Let's talk about nice things and pleasant things and, and we'll tweak this and we'll tweak that and we'll tweak it and pretty soon we don't know what it is we believe. Pretty soon we have nothing. We have nothing. But a big church. And a big budget. And we all of a sudden have influence in the community. And people are going, wow, if anything, if God's moving anywhere, He's moving there. And all along, the house is on fire and it's burning. And we don't even realize it. You see why Paul's mind is blown at this point? I'm astonished. Now the other thing he doesn't do is he doesn't say, well, you guys must be unbelievers. You must be a bunch of lost people. Only lost people act. He doesn't. He's responding. And what's, what's amazing to him is, is in, in a sense, I think he knows, you know, wait a minute, you genuinely respond. And we'll see it when he gets to the curse, when he does this double curse. But then he introduces the agitators. See, here's what's going on. Verse 7, after he says, there's not another one, but, but there are some here who trouble you. There are agitators out here. Luther calls them mad brains. They're mad brains. But they're agitators here. 
He addresses them, and he's going to address them several other times in this book. Now, are these the same types of people who we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, who were there, who opposed Paul, and apparently everywhere he went, he had this opposition of people who would come along. You remember already we've seen they attacked his apostleship. He's not an apostle. He can't be one. In Philippians chapter 3, he, he refers to these, these false teachers as dogs. He says they're mutilators. They're evil workers. He, he holds no punches with these people. Because they are destroying, they're burning down the church. That's what they're doing. But he says they're, they're disturbing you. They're troubling you. There's some who trouble you, and it's present tense, so it means this is ongoing. They just didn't stroll into town one day and cause trouble one day. They're there. They're with you. Who are they? We're going to learn more about them as we go. But probably they were Jewish people who came in and were claiming to be Christian and were coming along and saying things like this. Jesus? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and believe in Jesus. But you also need to be circumcised. And you also need to keep the law. You also need to do good works. Jesus, just, just not enough. You need to add some. That's where the house is burning down. And this will get more clearly defined as we go through Galatians. But he says, listen, these agitators, they're troubling you. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ. They want to change it. They want to tweak it just a little bit. Why, why, we just need to make it a little more easy for people to understand, a little more easy for people to take. We need to tweak it just a little bit so it's not so offensive. Man, i got to tell you, the temptation is so strong to do this. The temptation is so strong. This is one of the reasons why, and I've told you this before, one of the reasons why I preach through books of the Bible. One, I think that's just, just the way it should be done, and I, I think that's the way you learn the Bible. But another reason is it forces me to deal with things that I might not otherwise deal with. Because if I'm preaching through a book and there's something and I go, oh man, I don't know if they want to hear this. I don't know if they're going to like this. Gee, I just don't know. Man, this, this may upset some people. And if I'm preaching through a book of the Bible and I skip that section, it's going to be glaringly obvious to you that I skipped that section, isn't it? And, and you should come to me and say, hey, listen, why'd you skip that section? Well, I, 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 didn't want to, I didn't want to offend anybody. And then you need to tell me, hey, look, buddy, that ain't, that, that ain't your choice. This is God's Word, all of it. You don't skip around in it. You don't do that. But here they are, these agitators. They're, they're wanting to change it. They're wanting to tweak it just a little bit. John Stott, John Stott's dead now, but John Stott said this, you cannot tamper with the gospel and leave the church untouched. You start tampering with the gospel, then eventually what you're going to do is destroy the very church itself. Oh no, we can change the message, we can tweak the message and still carry on with what we do as a church. No, we gut everything we do as a church. And he's absolutely right. The gospel needs no props. Luther said this, Luther said, everyone who teaches a work salvation is a troubler of the church. So if you teach Christ plus works, Christ plus, 
the issue of circumcision. Maybe an issue, maybe similar to that today would be, well, yeah, you need to believe in Christ, but you also have to be baptized. You've got you to believe in Christ, but you're not saved until you're baptized too. You've got to believe in Christ, but you're not saved until you do this and this and this and this and this and whatever else we want to add to it. And Luther said, anyone who teaches this kind of thing is a troubler of the church. They're an agitator of the church. Then we get to the second emotion. This first emotion, I'm astonished, I cannot believe this, I cannot believe you're doing this. These agitators, you're turning so quickly, you've turned. And he gets to the second emotion, which is just a righteous anger, and there's a double curse here, you see this? But even if we are an angel from heaven, this could be hypothetically, Paul's hypothetically, if we, if we, the apostles, if I, Paul, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's strong language. Probably in the background of this in Paul's mind is Deuteronomy 4, don't you add to this. You remember the book of Revelation? Don't you add to these words. Don't you take away from these words. You remember the curse that was placed there at the end of the book of Revelation? Maybe Deuteronomy 4 behind this, God says, don't you add to the words of this covenant. And then later on in Deuteronomy 29, he places a curse. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. So maybe this is where it comes from. Paul will say things like in Romans 9, 3, I wish myself were a curse, talking about the Jews and salvation of the Jews. And I wish I could cut my own self off for my people and so forth. He'll, he'll, he'll use it again when, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says nobody, nobody under the influence, nobody in the power of the Holy Spirit calls Jesus a curse. You can't do it if you're a believer. You can't do it. And then second, and, and, and there at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he'll say something like this. If, you, if, if those who don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let them be accursed. So when he uses this language, he's not, he's not trying to win friends and influence people. It's straight talk. If we come and we preach, if somebody preaches a gospel, remember there's really not another gospel in Paul's mind, right? But if you tweak it and you play with it and you do, and it's not what you heard from us, it's not what we preach. Notice that's the first thing in the first curse. It's a gospel. If you hear anything other than what we preach to you, let them be accursed. Let them be cut off from God. Then verse 9, the second curse, as we have said before now, so I say again. I'm telling you again, this is how serious this is. If anyone is preaching to you a a gospel contrary, notice this time, it's the one you received. In the first curse, if they preach something other than what we preach, they should be accursed. And if they're preaching something other than what you received, in other words, the idea is you believed this gospel. You're in this gospel. So let them be accursed. 1 Corinthians 15, the first part of that chapter, before he gets to the resurrection. And he says, listen guys, this is what you need to understand. The gospel, the gospel that I preach, and then he defines it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And then he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. This is not another gospel. There's not another way for you to be saved. not another way for you to be right with God. You add any work to that at all. At all when it comes to being right with God. You've missed the gospel. 
And what's at stake is the salvation of your soul. That's what's at stake. So the second emotion, this curse that he places. Then we get to the third emotion, which really deals more with his ambition. And verse 10 is sort of a transition here. He's going to transition into his defense. He starts his defense in verse 11. Remember earlier, he's already told us in the very opening of this letter, you know, I'm not an apostle by man. Not at all. He's going to defend himself. But this verse 10 sort of a transition. For he says, "For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or God? One writer, F.F. F. Bruce, said that this, this could be, we read this, but what Paul could be saying is, is in, in a sense this. Am I seeking the approval of man? Or even trying to, to, to seek, seek, you know, somehow have God approve? In other words, twist God in some way in which he approves. And Bruce says, this is what the pagans do. The pagans manipulate God. Right? The pagans manipulate Him. We see it going on right now. Paganism's going on right in front of our very eyes. Let's manipulate God in this COVID deal. Let's manipulate God in this social justice deal. Let's manipulate God in all these different ways. Let's persuade God that we're okay. It could be the way He's saying it. But then what becomes clear is when He says, or am I trying to please man? Am I a man pleaser? I'll tell you what, Paul could be accused of a lot of things, but not being a man-pleaser. He was no man-pleaser. Not at all. And this could be an accusation that's being thrown out at him. Hey guys, let me tell you about Paul. Paul will do anything. Paul will do whatever it takes to manipulate you. Do you realize there are preachers that will do that? There are preachers that will do whatever it takes to manipulate you. And there are some who know it. There are some who study it. There are some who know very well the psychology of how to manipulate people. And they can do it so slick, and you can think, uh, God's moved, and all along it was a slick voodoo. I don't know what else to call it. You see it on TV all the time. Paul says, I'm not a man pleaser. This is not the way I operate. Now, some could be accusing him of this because he will tell the Corinthians, I become all things to all people, that I may win some. And he talks about that in that section there in chapter 9. But that's, he's not saying I'm a man pleaser. He's just saying, look, I, 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 in, in the furtherance of the gospel, in the preaching of the gospel, I'm going to relate to all kinds of people in preaching the gospel. He will tell the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 4, he is not a man pleaser. He didn't stroll into town to preach a message, to please people. He didn't accommodate people like that. He, he wasn't vacillating between being one way to the Galatians and then strolling down to Thessalonica and being something else and preaching one message to the Corinthians and then rolling over here to the Ephesians and preaching another message. That was not the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I want to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. It should be the same with us, right? Whatever context we find ourselves, whatever context we find ourselves in, it should be the same with us that what's going to come out of our mouth and the message we're going to preach is Christ and Him crucified. You may put me in this context. You may put me in that context. You may put me here. You may wake up in Monday morning and be 
with this group of people, you may be with that group of people, you may find yourself here, you may find yourself sick in a hospital, you may find yourself with, with, with this opportunity, but wherever you are, you're not a man pleaser. When they ask you, what's the hope? Isn't this what Peter said? They're going to come to you and they're going to say, why do you have this hope? What are you going to say? I know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's not going to change for us. No matter where God places you tomorrow, next week, whatever situation, good or bad, whatever group of people He puts you in front of, if He raises you up next week and places you in front of kings, or if He raises you up next week and places you in the midst of beggars, you will speak of one thing. That is the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, that's what Paul's trying to say to these Galatians. Guys, you know this about me. And that's why he says, if I were still to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I wouldn't be Christ's slave. He's going to flesh this out more in the book of Galatians, and he's going to get into this more about how they know what he was about and how they should understand what he was about and so forth. But you see, he responds right out of the gate with these three emotions. No beating around the bush, no pleasantries, no how are you doing, how's your mother, how's the family, how's the job. None of that comes right out of the gate and says, I cannot believe you are doing this. I cannot believe you have so quickly, so easily changed teams here. And you've thrown out what you've believed. You've thrown out what we preach. You've thrown out what we believe, what, what you've received. You've let these agitators influence you. Who, by the way, you understand this? He'll get to this later. But you understand who is ultimately behind the agitators, don't you? It's Satan. It's Satan. That's who's behind it all. Because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Can't believe it. I can't believe you're doing this. There's really not another gospel. There's only one gospel, guys. It's only one gospel here. And, 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 and you know, uh, it's not that, that I've been trying to please men. That's not it here at all. It's about Christ. This is what he says right out of the gate. And he responds with these three emotions, these three emotional charges here. You know what this takes, though? Because Paul was a man of courage, he had to have been a man of great courage. Of all the places where Paul ended up, do you know how easy it would have been for Paul just to tweak the message just a little bit and get out of prison? Just tweak the message just a little bit and not get beaten. But he'll say things like this, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. I bear in my body this. Listen, we haven't faced this. We haven't faced the pressures because by and large, for most of our lives in this room, and for the most of the life of this church, it's been an okay thing. It's been, in fact, it's probably been, in sometimes, pretty popular thing. What we believe, but I'm telling you right now, the house is on fire. 
And there are agitators out there, and they're coming along with things like social justice, and they're coming along with things like critical race theory, and they're coming along with excuses like the world's watching us right now, we certainly don't want to respond in an unpleasant way. I couldn't imagine Paul saying to the Galatians, in fact, this is probably what the false teachers were saying. Hey, Galatians watching! Paul comes along and says, I I could give a rip what Galatia's doing. I don't care that the world's watching. We don't have any influence with the world anyway. Let me tell you the most important thing to understand here. The Lord of the church is watching us. Christ is watching us. And it takes great courage to do this. We're not going to be men pleasers. We're just not. You remember Herod kills John the Baptist? Remember that Herod kills John the Baptist. And you remember one of the reasons why he killed John the Baptist? It pleased the people. It pleased the people. There are agitators in the church right now. There are agitators in the Southern Baptist Convention right now who would kill the gospel in a heartbeat to please people. And they are doing it. And they're doing it so subtle. Because what they're doing is saying things like this. Yes, believe in Jesus. Yes, the gospel. But there are all these other social things going on that are gospel issues. When it comes to being made right with God, there is only one gospel issue. That is your sin and the grace of God and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now once you come to Him and you live this out, yeah, there's some things that come into play. But see, Paul's not dealing with that here. What Paul's dealing with is how is a person made right with God? How is a person made right with God? It's time for straight talk. It's time for straight talk. And it's time for us to look honestly and, and, and have some straight talk with ourselves. You need to have some straight talk with your soul. And the straight talk needs to be something like this. Do I really and truly believe in Christ alone? Or have I been under the illusion that I'm a Christian and I'm a believer because, yeah, I know about Christ and I know about the death and burial and resurrection. I I get that. I believe that. I would never deny that. But there's got to be something else to add to that. There's got to be something else. I have to go to church because if I don't go to church, then God's not going to save me. I have to give my money because if I don't give my money, then God's not going to save me. I have to stop this sin or stop that sin because if I don't stop that sin, God's not going to save me. And then see, when you failed, you just, you're just miserable. Guilt's heaped upon you. And what do you do? You double down. You give more money. You try harder. You go to church more. There needs to be some straight talk to our own souls at this moment, at this time, at this point in time, in which I say to myself, have I 
believed another gospel. But there's not another gospel. But what other gospel is it that I possibly could have believed in? It's this. It's Christ plus anything else. That's a false gospel. It's the grace of Christ and the grace of God alone. That's it. That's what Paul's going to fight for. That's where Paul's going to go with this. So what about it? What about it? You switch teams? You thrown it out? Maybe subtly over the years, have you thrown it out? Are you in Christ? That's it. It's Christ. It's the grace of Christ. It's Christ in Him crucified. This is so important. And if we tinker or tamper with it at all, we set the house on fire. And we're in danger of losing our very own souls. Let the Word of God and let the Spirit of God, let God Himself do this this great examination of your heart as we start this letter. Because Paul's going to hit us with some things. Let Him do this great examination of our hearts as we start the book of Galatians. Am I trying to save myself? If you are, you've switched teams and you're in danger. You're in danger. Just come to Christ. There He is. Just come to Him. Let's pray.